Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 99. Okay, my friends, we're rounding out the month of September and our intention of food and our health with the last installment of our three-part Go Deeper series on the Ayurvedic plate. Hi, everyone. I am so glad to be back with you again this week on the Healing Catalyst podcast. And something really special is happening next week on October 3rd. First, we're launching season six of this podcast, which I can hardly believe. Second, we are celebrating episode number 100, which in the podcast world is a really big deal. And third, we'll be celebrating that I am done with my cancer treatment. This has been a really long healing journey for the past seven months. And of course, it'll continue, but I'm really excited to celebrate with all of you and to share a lot of what I've learned and some things I've been thinking about. So I hope that you'll all tune in next week. Okay, back to this week. If you've been listening the past two weeks, you know we've been diving deep into the Ayurvedic perspective of the food groups to help sort out all of the food noise that we're bombarded by every day with new data, new studies, new opinions that make it so incredibly confusing to figure out how to eat to support health. And so today I'm joined once again by my mentor, teacher, and friend, Chef Divya Alter, with part three of this three-part Go Deeper series on the Ayurvedic plate to discuss herbs, spices, oils, dairy, and meat. And in case you've missed part one or part two of this series, they're linked in the show notes for you. As many of you know, Divya has been on the podcast several times and her knowledge is really, really deep. Given her background, this is no surprise. Divya is the pioneering chef and author who's bringing Ayurveda cooking to the modern world. Originally from Bulgaria, she has nearly 30 years experience studying, practicing, and teaching Indian spiritual philosophy, yoga, Sanskrit chanting, and vegetarian cooking throughout Europe, India, and the United States. Divya is also the author of two groundbreaking, beautiful, absolutely beautiful cookbooks that are my favorites, What to Eat for How You Feel, and her new book, Joy of Balance. She's also the chef restaurateur of Divya's Kitchen, an award-winning Ayurvedic restaurant in New York City, and the creator of a line of Ayurvedic pantry goods. Divya has introduced the wisdom of Ayurveda to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. But her greatest passion is teaching. Over the last 13 years, she's worked with more than 20,000 students, and she's the founder of North America's first Ayurvedic nutrition and culinary training program, ENACT, which you guys know I'm taking right now and absolutely loving. In our conversation today, we discuss the food groups of herbs, spices, oils, dairy, and meat and get into the differing perspectives of Western and Ayurvedic nutrition. We also clear up the difference between herbs and spices, which oils to cook with, how to approach dairy, and the Ayurvedic view on the role of meat as a medicinal food. Vivi also shares her cooking tips and tricks for each food group, 
so you might want to grab a pen and paper to take notes. And in case you missed part one of this series, we discussed the difference between medicinal and daily foods and the food groups of grains, lentils, and beans. And in part two, we talked about fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. Those episodes are both linked in the show notes for you. Okay, let's dive in now. I am so happy to share this conversation with my mentor, teacher, and friend, Chef Divya Alter. In part three of this three-part Go Deeper series on the Ayurvedic plate, as we explore food and our health. Well, hello, Divya. I am so excited to be back with you again for a third episode. We've recording for hours now, but the listeners will be hearing this as three-part series, and we're on part three of the Ayurvedic perspective on food groups. So thank you so much for being here again with me today. Of course, Avanti. I could speak with you for days and days. <laughs> I don't mind spending that time with you. You're so delightful. And thank you again for uh, having me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, that's why this conversation has gone over like three and a half, almost four hours, because we talk so much. So I guess that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. But anyway, today we're going to jump into the last of the food groups. We're going to be covering herbs, spices, oils, and then we'll go into dairy and round out the discussion with meat. So let's jump into herbs and an Ayurvedic perspective of herbs. So first thing is, can you just explain the difference between herbs and spices? Because I know a lot of people put those, like they're kind of interchangeable sometimes in people's minds. So what is the difference between those two? Yeah. So in herbs, we use the leafy parts of the herb. So the, the, the stem with the leaves, this is, we can use them fresh or we can use them dried. So these are in general, these are herbs and then spices are usually the seeds of the plant. So if you think of a fennel plant, you can use the bulb as a vegetable, the stalks as a vegetable. We talk about different groups of vegetables. And then once that same plant comes to flowering, it produces, and the flowers mature, it produces fennel seeds. So then you can use the fennel seeds as a spice. And before it turns into seeds, you can use the fennel flowers as an herb. And I was just at the farmer's market the other day, and I saw there. You could buy uh, like a bouquet of fennel, of blooming fennel, and use it for your pickled cucumbers. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, and sp uh, spices also, they can be roots, like ginger, for example, or turmeric. They can be barks, like cinnamon bark. They can also be leaves, like cinnamon leaf or bay leaf. It's used as a spice. And they also used in usually in different quantities because the herbs, the leaves of the herbs, whether they're dry or fresh, we usually use a lot more of them in, in terms of quantity in a dish than compared to asafoetida or black pepper, for example. So there are, they also have different uses. Right. So let's talk about herbs. And that was a great explanation of the difference. I think it's really clear then. So let's talk about herbs in Ayurvedic cooking and from an Ayurvedic perspective as a food group. What can you tell us about, you know, why are these important in Ayurveda? Herbs are welcome, very much welcome in Ayurveda. So when you look at herbs, you can think about culinary herbs that you use them in cooking, and then you can think of the medicinal herbs, that that's a whole different 
section and you really have to study thoroughly (laughs) in order Mm -hmm. to use them properly. So in the kitchen, we use culinary herbs like basil and parsley, thyme, cilantro. I have so many of them on my balcony. I have lovage or sage or rosemary or tarragon, oregano. So these are all fresh herbs or dried herbs that can be used. And just like with every food ingredient, they come with their properties. So some of them are more heating, some of them are more cooling. They also have different effects on the doshas, but in general, herbs are very much welcome. Usually fresh herbs are added at the end of a dish, of cooking the dish as a garnish or in a salad or so that they preserve their vibrant colors and aromas. Sometimes I would add fresh herbs in the beginning, especially if I'm cooking vegetable stock. I like to add fresh herbs and especially, you know, like the stems, like let's say you gathering the leaves of parsley to just to garnish it or cilantro leaves to use as garnish what do you do with the stems you can because they're more fibrous you might not want to use them for the garnish but i put them in the vegetable stock and get their nutrients that way so they don't get wasted so yeah different parts of the herb can be used in different ways dried herbs are they're more potent so keep in mind that Usually the ratio fresh to dry herb in terms of how much to use is three parts of fresh equal one part of dry. So when you use dry herbs, use less. (laughs) Okay, that's a really good tip. And then as far as I know, there's some tricks and tips for storing herbs that you've taught us. Yes. Which are (laughs) really good. Um, Well, it's important, especially... Depends on the herb also and how, so the thinner and more fragile the leaf of the herb is, like cilantro or basil, they're very thin and fragile. So you have to be more careful. They cannot tolerate very cold temperatures, so don't keep them on the top shelf of the fridge. You can keep them on the door of the fridge. And some herbs you can just simply keep like a vase of herbs, on, like put them in a cup or a vase and keep them on the counter with some water. They will thrive. Like one time I picked basil from my garden and it was too much and I just put it in a cup and within three days it grew roots. It was ready to be planted. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, wow. so if you're able to, if you have the space in the kitchen, you can just place them in cups on the counter and use them quickly or wrap them in damp towel or paper towel. If you're using those veggie bags, they're special veggie bags, you make them a little damp and they'll keep the herbs fresh. And recently I saw, I love looking at kitchen gadgets and I just got a special container for keeping the herbs fresh. It's like a double container. It almost looks like a salad spinner, but it doesn't spin. And you put a little bit of water and it covers it. It's plastic, unfortunately, but but it especially we'll be traveling soon and I have to keep my herbs fresh. So I, I got these containers to keep the herbs fresh. So there are little gadgets like that as well. Yeah, that's great. You know, cilantro is probably one of the herbs that I was most uh, familiar with growing up because that's what we used in a South Asian household. So for me, when I started cooking or, you know, when I went to college and started cooking later, I really didn't understand or know many of the other herbs because really the only herb 
that my mom used was was dania, was cilantro, or you know, or ginger, you know, as a root. But I mean, really, it was cilantro that we used a lot. So for me, it was the opposite. Cilantro is not part of Bulgarian cuisine. Even today, when mm-hmm. I go, the farmers market doesn't have cilantro. So, but we for us the the traditional herb for garnish is parsley. Mm-hmm. So in Italy is more basil, oregano, yes. like that. So, right. but it's yeah. good to use different herbs because they're very digestive. I like, especially for somebody who is very high pitta and they cannot tolerate a lot of spices, which are usually more heating and increase heat and pitta in the body. And then you, you don't want to serve like really bland food. So a little bit of cooling herb like cilantro will add nice color, it will make the food vibrant, but also to add a little bit of more flavor to the food. So I like using dill or, or cilantro or basil, especially for high pitta to bring more flavor to their food. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I've learned is that the fresh herbs add a complexity of flavor to a dish, right? Yes. You know, adding it fresh, there's another layer of flavor besides the spices that have been cooked in. Um, which is really interesting. And it's so interesting that I'm saying this because I don't know that I ever noticed it as much before. I mean, my mom would already always put it as a garnish cilantro on, on finished dishes, but I was like, oh, that's just what we do. You know, <laughs> um, I didn't think as much about the complexity or the cooling property or anything like that. So I think mm-hmm. it's really fascinating. Okay. I could go on and on, but let's talk about spices. Is that okay? If we move to spices now? Sure. Yeah. That's a very long okay. conversation, but let's see where you would take it. <laughs> yeah. Let's see where we go. So, you know, I guess the best way to talk about spices is that, I mean, they are medicine, right? In small doses. and Really, I feel like much of the Ayurvedic application that we've talked about that I've learned from you is to use them to help with digestion or digestibility of the foods. Is that sort of correct? Uh, Yes. So for the healthy cook, a healthy cook will choose spices primarily for digestion. And healthy cook in the sense that when you're, you're trying to really cook for your digestion and for your health. You're not just thinking about how it's going to taste. But most cooks in the West, it's just our culture. We use spices to make the foods flavorful or color more colorful. Like if you're using turmeric or paprika or sumac, like different, different spices that will change the color of the food. But in Ayurveda, we, yes, we definitely think about presentation. We think about taste. But we also select spices and the synergy, the combination of the spices is also very important. The blend that will kind of all these spices work together to bring nutrients where they're supposed to go and to help you break down foods that are heavier to digest. So there are spices that help digest protein. That's their that's their superpower, (laughs) like cardamom, for example, or fenugreek is a great protein digested foods. There are spices that help us digest carbohydrates like cinnamon or cinnamon leaf. There are spices that help us reduce, uh, digest foods that are more airy by nature. They produce a lot of gas and bloating by nature, like cabbage or bitter melon. So coriander is a, or fennel, these are great spices to add to these more airy foods. So in Ayurveda, we use spices almost like not scientific, but it's like 
you're like an alchemist in the kitchen. <laughs> you're thinking about so many aspects to support the deep digestion and absorption simulation food. And what is the perspective on ginger, garlic? Let's talk about those two, because those are very, I mean, I don't know that they're considered spices all the time, but if you do the dried form, they are spices, correct? Yes, the ginger powder and the garlic powder. Yeah, I guess you would see it that way. Otherwise, garlic is is considered a vegetable or onions. They consider mm -hmm. they're in the vegetable group. But mm -hmm. ginger, yeah, it's definitely medicinal because we use it in small quantity. <laughs> we don't cook cups of ginger. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both of them are very fiery and very heating. Think about biting on ginger or garlic. Your mouth will be on fire. But the difference between the two is that ginger has a lot more sattvic energy, sattvic in the way, in the sense that it has tremendous medicinal properties like antiviral, antibacterial, it supports circulation, it dries phlegm and congestion. Yeah, there's so many of them, but it doesn't deplete the friendly bacteria in the gut. And especially raw garlic can, can do that. It can have a negative effect on the friendly bacteria in the gut because it's kind of like an antibiotic that doesn't discriminate between the good guys and the bad guys. So Vaidyamish always told us, like, use, use garlic as medicine, don't use it regularly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then some thoughts on cooking with turmeric. Yay, my favorite spice. You know, can you believe it? I hadn't, I've never used turmeric until I was 18 years old and went to the yoga ashram and discovered turmeric. So it, it just wasn't part of Bulgarian culture in Bulgaria. It's very, you can buy it everywhere now, but it's not, it was not part of the culture. I was growing it up and turmeric is really a very powerful spice. And there are thousands of studies on turmeric. But, and there was a recent, well, I don't know how recent, a few years ago, a university uh, did a study on turmeric and different people. So they get a placebo turmeric, like a fake turmeric. And another group was taking the turmeric capsules. And another group was just cooking with turmeric the way it's done in India and the way we recommend in Ayurveda, we recommend to cook with the turmeric. So this group of scientists, they proved that turmeric is best absorbed. It was best. People got the most benefit out of it. The group was the people who cooked with it. And then the, the other groups, they didn't get much out of it. So for best absorption, the sages of Ayurveda said thousands of years ago, just cook with it. Uh, and because it has a lot of dryness, it produces dryness in the body. It's always good to add some fat. So a little bit of ghee, a little bit of olive oil, whenever you're cooking with turmeric, it will support the best absorption. And Yes, people all the time ask me, what about a little bit of black pepper to, <laughs> to the turmeric? Yes, you can always add a pinch of black pepper as well. Yeah, that, that increases the bioavailability in, in the body. And there have been studies that have been done that show that as well. But, you know, I think it's just so important to click into this idea that you just talked about, which is cooking with these spices is really the most beneficial to us. And this is a discussion I've actually had with another friend of mine who is very much a scientist when it comes to spices, Kunshan Koya. Uh, and you probably know Kunshan. Yeah, I know. Um, she's here in New she, York. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've had this discussion about, you know, the capsules versus cooking and that, you know, 
when you try to isolate certain parts of the spice and then put it in a capsule form, okay, so, okay, great. Maybe you have some active ingredient. But the thing is, is that the, the real magic is in using the full spice, not just taking out the active ingredient that we can study because there's something about the synergy of all of the components of the spice together then when it's heated, then when it's added with the fat, then when it's added and balanced with other spices, these are not things you can duplicate in a pill, in a capsule. Exactly. Right? Yes. You put it mm -hmm. so well. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, exactly. It's, we cannot beat nature. We try, <laughs> keep trying, but we cannot beat the, the perfection of nature. We can only kind right. of combine things. So I'm really, I love studying the combination of spices because it, it's like, it's like also formulating a medicine, right? So you, you don't just have one ingredient in the medicine. There's usually many components to it. Even allopathic medicine, it's not just one thing. There are components that work synergistically to produce a certain effect. So I feel very grateful and very fortunate to have learned a lot about spice combinations from the late Vaidya Mishra. He was really excellent in this. And in my master classes, the, uh, the beautifully produced video classes that are out in the world, you can get them on divis.com. I have a whole module about cooking with spices. So we talk about different properties of spices and different methods. So there are different methods of cooking with spices. There are different types of spice blends. And I give a bunch of recipes and I show how to make each one of them. So, and then how to use spices in cooking. Right. So, yeah, because this is, this is a vast and complex topic. And so, you know, many people will ask me, well, I don't know where to start. Start simple, you know, start with a recipe, try and understand why are those spices been putting, you know, how, why have they been put together? And like Divya said, her master classes they're linked in the show notes. So go check that out. That's a great primer on, on trying to understand the spices. You know, I grew up in a South Asian household, so I saw my, my grandmother and my aunts and my mother, you know, what combinations they put together. And I have kind of memorized those. I, I know which spices go with which vegetables. But what I didn't know was the why, right? <laughs> I could figure out when I started studying Ayurveda, you know, certain properties and everything else, but I've learned so much of, of a depth you know, another layer of understanding of depth of why those spices go together. So it's a vast topic, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to the listeners, not something that we can cover in, you know, 10 minutes on this podcast. So that that's kind of that. But let's talk about oils now, if we mm. could, because we talked about, you know, the importance of cooking with fats, especially to activate these spices. Mm. So which oils should we be cooking with? Because this is a really confusing topic, you know, and there's so many oils out there now. I mean, when, when I was growing up, you didn't have oils of every single nut that there was. And I mean, there's so many oils now, it's hard to figure out what to do. Yeah. So what, what is your advice here, Divya? Well, first of all, Ayurveda speaks about four different categories of, of fats, of cooking fats. So one of them is ghee which comes from, this is like a clarified type of clarified butter. And another fat is seed or nut oil, so that it's the pressed seed or, or nut to produce the oil. And then there is two types of animal fat. 
So, which, I mean, yeah, some people like tallow. <laughs> some people still cook with that and uh, or marrow, using marrow as a fat. So I don't really use these last two, but um, but these are the four categories. And then in Western perspective, we speak about saturated, monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. And I, I mean, you're the scientist, Avanti, so... I just look at the news, <laughs> but I'm, I understand that there are many studies that refute the notion from the past that saturated fat are bad for your health. Like we're talking about coconut oil or ghee or butter. These are saturated fats. So um, I remember this article a few years ago in New York Times. The title was Butter is Better. <laughs> and what mm -hmm. is better then? It's better than canola oil. It's better than vegetable oil. It's better than uh, all these corn oil and peanut oil and all kinds of very processed polyunsaturated oils that are almost like one molecule away from plastic, their molecular structure. Mm -hmm. And they cause a lot of arterial blockages and it's just so hard to digest. So saturated fat, like cultured ghee, for example, when it's prepared properly, it's so nourishing for the body and it maintains the body's moisture so you will not have dry skin and 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 dry bones and dry joints um but yeah it's very hard to and there is a lot of science behind it i'm just not scientist i'm not science doesn't click me <laughs> with me i'm not <laughs> against it it's just i don't have the mind the mind of a scientist i'm a chef and I experience, I just intuitively experience life. But um, there is a ton of scientific research behind all this. So the best oils to cook with from an Ayurvedic perspective is cultured ghee. So there are two types of ghee. One comes from cultured cream, cultured butter. So because it's fermented, it's much easier to digest the fat. And then just the regular sweet butter, which is then cooked into ghee. That's that's most of the butter that you buy in the store. So that ghee is a lot more fattening and it's more, it's heavier. It's a little heavier. But so cultured ghee, olive oil, even though it's not, it wasn't described in the Ayurvedic texts. Olive oil is fan fantastic fat. There is a lot of research on high quality. The key is to be high quality olive oil, high quality in the sense pure and fresh, freshly harvested, harvested within and pressed within one year. That's the best olive oil. And then if you have good agni, if you have strong digestion, and especially if you live more in the tropical areas, coconut oil is a good alternative, good cooking oil as well. I rarely used it in, in the only in the summer in the north north side northeast and then sesame oil sometimes i use it just a little bit here and there for an asian dish just to bring that flavor but in general sesame oil is more for applying it on the skin rather than ingesting mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. these yeah. that's it and so, yeah really i mean it's really ghee and olive oil those are probably the two main ones that i cook with yeah i don't really cook with coconut as much um some of, you know, my family members, some of my family members don't like the flavor of that. And I think we've grown up with ghee. But, you know, I think it's really important to think about, you know, fats in a different way. 
they're an important component of whatever you're cooking, right? And again, it's activating the spices. You don't have to use a ton of these oils. I think in this Western culture, we've been so brainwashed into thinking that all fats are bad. So any form of fat. And so anytime, you know, somebody puts fat into the pan (laughs) to cook with, everyone freaks out like, oh my gosh, how much are you putting? You know, you don't need a lot. You just need a little bit. And it actually, again, that complexity, it creates a complexity in the dish, but I think it also helps you feel satiated. It nourishes you. I can tell the difference between having dal that has some ghee in it versus dal that doesn't have ghee. The one with the ghee is so much more satisfying. Yes. (laughs) That's my experience at least. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely satiating faster and it gives you long-term energy as well. And that's the other thing is good, good quality fat builds our good quality, good quality fat tissue in the body, which is the raw material, the building block for good quality bone tissue. And so many people now, they suffer with bone, bone loss or bone, low bone density because, because they just didn't have good fats throughout their whole life. Right. So it's, and also then it's also been proven scientifically that cholesterol doesn't relate directly to heart disease. So, but I think most people don't know that yet. It hasn't clicked for most people. Mm-hmm. So again, um, from an Ayurvedic perspective, yeah, these good fats help to maintain good moisture. It's called snigdha in the body. That's the lubrication. That's the oilation in the body. And this is a key component to slowing down aging. Mm-hmm. It's longevity. Yes. Yes. Your skin will be wrestling, less wrinkled. You have more of a glow, especially when you cook with ghee and, and olive oil. Yes, absolutely. And one, maybe you could just give some tips on choosing olive oil, the highest quality, but it should be cold pressed and extra virgin if you can. Yes. And so the best brands of olive oil on the back of the label, they will tell you when it was harvested. So it's always best when the olives are picked and crushed the same day. That's the highest quality. It reduces oxidation. And and a good company will also give you the date when it was bottled because you want to use it within a year of that date. And sometimes they'll give you the expiration date as well. But the fresher the olive oil, the best it is. And And unfortunately, olive oil is prone to a lot of fraud. So even if it says packed in Italy, (laughs) actually Italy is not the biggest producer of olive oil, but even if it says packed, very often they get it from Spain and they pack it in Italy because we associate olive oil with Italy, but you can get olive oil, fantastic olive oil from California. I I love Fandango. It's a great company. Fandango olive oil, Bariani olive oil, another family farm that produces high quality olive oil. You can get olive oil from South America. You can get it from South Africa. So, um, yeah, just make sure that it, because if it doesn't give these, these compound, if it doesn't give you the date of when it was harvested and crushed and produced, it's usually a mix. So it's not pure olive oil. It has other like filler oil, oils, and that's why it's cheaper also. So. And that kind of olive oil is not very good for eating or cooking at high temperature. 
it's more the olive oil is most medicinal when it has high content of polyphenols. So the highest the content of those of poly the phenol con content is, the higher smoke point the olive oil has. But that olive oil is very peppery, very spicy. It has a strong taste. So not everybody can relate to that strong taste. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are great tips on olive oil. Yeah. So, you know, it can be confusing. And if you're, you know, really confused, look some things up, ask some questions, you know, you can get some guidance. It's always helpful. Okay. So let's move on to dairy. Now, this is the one that is the most controversial because there are so many differing opinions on dairy. But let's start with what is the Ayurvedic perspective of dairy? Mm, dairy is considered, we're, we're talking about animal dairy here. So it's considered extremely nourishing and it can be very medicinal. And the first dairy product is milk, the milk of the animals. So that's, that's the original <laughs> ingredient. That can it can then be transformed into yogurt, cheese, uh, buttermilk, ghee, butter, like all these different dairy products. And it's so amazing when Ayurveda speaks about dairy as a group. There is a whole chapter in the in each ancient text about dairy. They speak about every possible dairy that many of those we don't really eat consume today. But for example, cow dairy is considered uh, the best for balancing human physiology. Well, first of all, the best dairy is the human breast milk. So it's listed on top. Like this is the best, mm -hmm. obviously, for the baby. Um, mm -hmm. So breast milk of the mother is considered the best. Next best is cow dairy, the cow milk. And, and then it's goat milk. So goat milk, even though they're both milks, they have very different properties. So the predominant taste of cow milk is sweet and the predominant taste and it's all the quality is heavy the predominant taste of goat milk is astringent and it's much lighter and it's also less fatty and when you think about the two animals they're so different <laughs> the cow is very kapha energy and the and the goat is very vata energy but they also describe like camel's milk like camel milk is very salty uh, interestingly enough, there is also buffalo milk, which is considered one of the heaviest. And buffalo milk is great to, for falling asleep. So for somebody who is high pitta and cannot fall asleep at night, a little bit of buffalo milk is a great medicine. Sheep's milk, is, uh, they also speak about donkey milk and horse milk and elephant milk. <laughs> um, but sheep's milk is considered one of the heaviest to digest and aggravates all three doshas. So yeah, be careful with sheep cheese and sheep milk like that because it's very heavy. Um, so all of in ancient times, all these animals were domestic animals. They were part of the, of the household and they were never killed. And, and they were just, that was their service. Nowadays, you can also see many. I have friends who have cows at home, <laughs> one or two cows. They take care of them and they're part of the family. And I, I know some people say, well, humans, not the milk is reserved only for the babies of that animal. Uh, yes, yes and no. Something, I know cows. I, I know a cow farm. This is Gitanagari farm where my husband and I got married in Pennsylvania. They adopt cows that are being sent to slaughter. They were just 
adopt a cow. And last time I was there, they had 19 cows that were giving milk without having babies. They were just so happy. And they were not induced to give milk. Go explain that. So they were just so happy and so grateful for the care they were receiving. And they were just giving milk. <laughs> so uh, Ayurved, in Vedic culture, the cow is considered a very holy animal. It's used in all kinds of religious rituals, spiritual rituals. So much is written about the cow in the Vedic texts. So it's considered actually very good for health to drink dairy. The problem is nowadays when our guts are so messed up, dairy is heavy to digest. So many of us, no, not me. I used to be lactose intolerant. I'm not anymore. Ayurveda helped me <laughs> heal my gut and now I can digest it. Yeah, so I know this is a sensitive topic for many people. Um, so if you really dislike dairy, don't drink it, don't eat it. That's fine. But don't think that the quality and the action of almond milk, for example, will be the same as cow dairy. It will not be. Like you can use it as a substitute for a dish and come up with the same texture and, you know, it looks the same. But the properties of the two types of milk, like plant-based milk and dairy milk, will not be the same. You'll, you'll have different effects on the physiology. Right. And so again, without getting into all of the, you know, it's a sensitive topic about, you know, should you drink dairy? Should you not drink dairy? We're not going to go into that. We're just providing the Ayurvedic perspective, which is dairy is a very, very important part of an Ayurvedic diet. So based on that, let's first talk about what kind of cow's dairy, if you're going to have cow dairy, what should you be looking for? Because one of the issues with cow dairy, if you're having it in your diet, is that it's processed, it's coming from animals that are highly stressed, et cetera, et cetera. There's chemicals, all this kind of stuff. So what do we look for if we're, if we're thinking we're going to have cow dairy in our diet? Yeah, exactly. That's the problem that not all dairy is the same. Mm -hmm. Even if you just talk about milk, for example. So the best quality milk comes from happy cows. <laughs> They're really well taken care of. They have names. They graze in, in the pasture. They dance. They're well taken care of. So such a cow, as a mother, she will be very happy. So her hormones will produce this beautiful milk. They just eat grass and make milk. And the quality of that milk will be extremely medicinal and nourishing. And the taste of it will be so sweet, like, like nectar. I've had, had such milk. Unlike cows that are in in a commercial, conventional kind of setting, they they're all stacked. They live in very unnatural conditions. They're given unnatural food. They're not given fresh grass. They're given antibiotics. They're not treated well. So these cows are very unhappy, and their milk will be not so medicinal. So I always recommend, like, look for. If you can find like a local uh, farmer who, who, who can, you can get raw milk from and you can boil it yourself to pasteurize it at home and use it that way. Or like A2 milk. A2 is the kind of milk that has the proteins that are much easier for humans to digest. So you can like here in New York, we can buy A2 milk 
and in Whole Foods. <laughs> it's becoming very popular. And so definitely grass-fed. If it's pasteurized, if you're buying it in the store, pasteurized, especially slow, like they call it VAT pasteurized, that's much better for health. But don't buy homogenized because homogenization is like spinning the milk to disperse the fat molecules so there is no cream on top. But this makes the milk like very acidic and very hard to digest. So I don't recommend homogenized milk, but pasteurized or raw or pasteurized. But the main thing is to to support uh, the cows. Like to me, ca- milk coming from protected cows is is the highest quality, not just physically, molecular from a molecular point of view, but also vibrationally. Yes, that's that's an amazing description. And organic is another one, and also glass bottle. I know those yes. are two other things you should be looking for when you're buying cow's milk. Let's see, are there any other tips that you have as far as eating, consuming cow's milk? It's it's okay in all seasons, right? For yeah, most people. Less in spring for sure. Yeah, less in spring. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. problem people have with dairy not digesting it is that eating like consuming it cold <laughs> will be very yes. could cause a lot of congestion, a lot of phlegm. So if you're drinking milk, it's always best to drink it hot. Add spices like cinnamon, cardamom, a little bit of nutmeg, even a pinch of ginger to digest it. Drink it hot and don't mix it with other foods because there, milk is such a volatile ingredient. It, it leads to a lot of indigestion when you combine it with other foods. So eat it, drink it alone. We're talking about milk, yogurt, cheese. These have completely different properties. And I describe all of this in my cookbooks, but also in, in the master classes, we have a whole section of on dairy and how to make ghee and buttermilk and butter and yogurt and all that. So I actually show you how to make your own dairy products. But don't, yeah, just don't eat it together. So be careful what you combine it with and drink it hot. So typical American breakfast, you, you take the processed grain cereal <laughs> out of a box mm-hmm. And then and then you pour cold milk from the fridge and then you sprinkle some berries and drink some orange juice on the side. Mm-hmm. This will give you supreme indigestion. <laughs> you will be yeah. like, what's yeah. going on? And it's just mm-hmm. the, the wrong milk with the, in the wrong combination of foods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that's also such a good point that you brought up is that, again, you know, we're going through all these food groups, but so much of Ayurvedic eating is also the combinations, right? Of when you eat them, how you eat them, right? You know, as I always say, sort of this principle of Ayurvedic eating, it's not just what you eat. It's also, you know, the why, the where, the how much, Mm -hmm. right? Those are all important principles and things that you need to think about when you're coming from an Ayurvedic perspective. And so the combinations, you know, so Divya described a typical, okay, it's very, very sort of like, you know, we're kind of making a generalization here, but that typical American breakfast, it's a right? Common. Yeah, it's common. You see it in the movies, you see like people when they don't know what to eat, that's what they eat. Right. Yeah. And so it becomes this thing where it's actually, you're starting your day completely in digestion. <laughs> so, you know, just thinking about maybe rethinking what am I eating for each of my meals? You know, maybe some of those are your favorite foods and you can split them up a little bit. 
you know, create some space. You know, again, there's no judgment here. This is about learning another perspective and about making small changes that will slowly change your gut microbiome, that will change your digestion, you'll feel better, and then you'll want to take the next step. So again, uh, I just want us to click into that, that, you know, it's the combination of foods is really important too. Yeah. And I know that just to our listeners, some of our listeners, this may feel like overwhelming. It's like, oh, this is, I just want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's fine too. But usually we start thinking about healthier eating and we start listening and kind of tuning into this type of conversation when we're experiencing gut issues, especially when they become chronic and you're like, I don't know what else I could eat. It's just nothing is working for me. So mm -hmm. then you're like, why am I like that? And you'll probably find all the answers through Ayurveda. Yeah. Okay, so the last topic, the last food group is meat. Let's talk about this one. You know, we're both vegetarian, but we're going to talk about, <laughs> that's our personal choice, but we're going to talk about meat and how does meat fit into Ayurveda? Yeah, so Ayurveda, again, describes every how everything in nature can be used as food or as medicine. So that's why um, there is a whole section on different types of meat from animals and birds that I don't think anybody eats. <laughs> a lot of them nobody eats today. But, mm -hmm. um, but it's, again, it's, it's shown how to use everything in nature as food or as medicine. And the truth is that one living being is food for another. So when you look at the different types of animals, they all have their diet, so to say. They all have their allotted, that's what they eat. Mm -hmm. um, and for us as human beings, um, we kind of eat both plants and meats. Ayurveda describes meat as something that's very nourishing in general. Um, and But the thing is that my understanding, the way I've read it and, and studied it, is that Ayurveda doesn't support slaughterhouses. Like back then, there were no slaughterhouses and Usually the animal was killed within a special ritual with priests chanting mantras and praying for the next life of the <laughs> it's like a, like a whole ritual for the to also benefit the, the killed animal. So yes, it in involves a lot more violence and that's why I stopped eating meat. I didn't want to be part of that chain of violence because mm -hmm. through my spiritual practice I'm trying to develop love and compassion to have those qualities grow in my heart and share them with the world. So I choose not to eat meat. Then later on, I realized that, yeah, it's actually better for health for most people. And it's also better for the environment. So there are many benefits to be on a plant-based diet. But yes, meat can be used as, as medicine. So different types of meats are described. I, I never really studied this section because I'm not interested in using meat because any any medicine that has meat in it you can you can use something else you can use herbs and foods to bring the same effect it may take longer to achieve the same healing effect but yes and sometimes unfortunately today we live in a lot of much more violence against animals and especially with the slaughterhouses so I know many doctors, Ayurvedic doctors, who are pure vegetarian. They were brought up vegetarian. They've been vegetarian their whole life. Like Vaidya Misha, for example, I remember 
he's been he was a vegetarian his whole life and i was sitting as an intern during consultations when he was in new york city and i remember this lady she was a vegetarian and he told her she had a really chronic issue and she was in her late stage of life and there was not much time for her so he he said if you want to heal quickly you have to drink this bone broth from chicken not from beef he never recommended beef from the cow he said from from chicken just have it three times a day for 3 months this is a prescription and then you can stop so he said with your condition you will recover fastest that way and she did it and she felt better and then she stopped <laughs> she went back to her vegetarian diet so I've always seen meat meat preparations being prescribed they're usually in the form of soup or broth they're being prescribed but it's never like eat meat every day with every meal that's overly excessive right, right. thank right. you for that beautiful explanation because i think it's really important again for the listeners to know that you know ayurveda is mostly vegetarian it is vegetarian most of the things that are written about but there is writing about meat and how it can be used medicinally. So if this goes back to our first conversation in part one, and if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that, where we talked about medicinal and daily foods that we can eat. And this is in the category of medicinal from an Ayurvedic perspective, right? It is medicinal. It's also very nourishing. So if somebody is extremely emaciated, for example, uh, like having a, a meat or bone meat soup or bone broth soup, it will really bring them back to life quickly. And um, but then, if there is a way to avoid it, I think most Ayurvedic doctors will try to go for the non-violent, especially if they know that their patient is really trying to avoid violence in their life for spiritual reasons, physical reasons, emotional reasons. But sometimes, if it's a question of life and death, <laughs> you know. You might have to eat it just to survive. If it's a question of survival, then yes, you have to. To save your life, you have to eat it. But again, for the time being, for as long as you need it to overcome whatever you're going through. Even in that example, it's a medicinal food for a specific amount of time, for a specific re reason, health issue, right? Yeah, it's, a medic it's medicinal. It's also personal choice. So, Absolutely. Like, I like to know about the, even with plant-based foods, I want to know what's also my, what's the footprint of that food that I'm eating? Mm -hmm. So what is the mm -hmm. repercussions? So what's, what's the, what are the side effects, so to say, of producing this food and also possible side effects in my body? So I, I like this about Ayurveda because it always speaks about the benefits, but it also speaks about don't eat it if this, this, and this is going on for you. So, unlike modern nutrition, they usually just focus on the nutritional benefits and that's it. Um, and I think, I mean, so many people switch to plant-based diets and they feel much better because also not all meat is the same. Mo most meat is has all these chemicals in it, <laughs> food coloring to make it look better. It's, it's just not, it's not a pure, most of the meats are not pure ingredients either. So just eating meat can bring a lot of unnecessary toxicity to the body. Right. And I think you bring up a really good point because, you know, plants and grains, all of the food groups can be harvested in the same way. They might be being produced with a lot of 
GMOs and a lot of fertilizers and all kinds of things. So it's not just animal products that are in this category of having all these issues with chemicals and pesticides, et cetera. Plants are in the same in the same boat now in this modern world. Yes. So exactly. you have to take that into consideration too. Yeah. So there are so many toxic plant-based plant plant foods. And being a vegan or a vegetarian, you can still be eating a lot of junk food and a lot of unhealthy foods. So it doesn't mean maybe healthier on one level, but it doesn't mean you're eating healthy. So this brings us to back to the point we addressed in our part one, is that food is man, meant for nourishment. Food is not just meant to eat and fill the belly. The purpose of food is to nourish deeply each tissue of our body, to give us energy, to give us strength, so that we can fulfill our purpose, our dharma, so to say, for us to feel fulfilled and happy. So, yeah. So if food is not nourishing you, if food is causing a lot of blockages, a lot of inflammation, like meat can cause a lot of inflammation, especially for people with weak digestion. If it's causing the food that's causing for you, like all kinds of digestive reactions. So this food is not the right food for you. So you have to ask why and maybe get help to figure out what's the best food for you right now so that you can build up you can stoke your digestive fire, you can clean your system so that you can experience your physical health, your mental health, emotional health to your best potential. I don't even know what to say after that. That's the most beautiful way of summing up what food is about in Ayurveda. It's it's a remedy, it's a way of living, it's it's all of these things. It's for nourishment. And I think the most beautiful thing you said is that it's to help us fulfill our dharma in this lifetime, our purpose, so that our bodies can can go out into the world and do the work that we were meant to do. So <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. So with that, Vivia, thank you so much for going through three episodes, you know, three and a half hours of us talking about all of the food groups and the Ayurvedic perspective and giving us tips and tricks and and things to think about. I think this series is is so incredibly helpful and I think it's a great starting point for so many of the listeners. If you want to go deeper, please, please, please pick up Vivia's cookbooks. They will be linked in the show notes. Try out her master classes. Those are also linked to the show notes. They're beautiful classes. If this is something of interest to you, if we've sort of sparked a desire in you to say, oh, I think I want to think about it Ayurvedically. This is interesting. This speaks to me. There's so many resources that Divya has that you can dive deeper and, and learn more because we have just scratched the service. So <laughs> Divya, thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank you, Avanti. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And I can't wait to listen to the next episodes that you record with, with other guests. They're always so engaging. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, Find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. 
I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.